Hi, I'm Lisa Morton, founder of Roland Dransville PR, and this is our We Built This City podcast. This podcast is made of the conversations of the Mancunians born, bred and adopted that put the heart into modern Manchester. We're a city that literally rebuilt itself after the IRA bomb exploded in Manchester city centre in 1996. While the city continues to grow brick by brick, we know that what makes it great are the people that come together day in and day out, even if it is via video call right now. One of these people is my guest, business consultant and international events planner, Liz Taylor of Taylor Lynn Corporation. When you love what you do and you have achieved things in life that you're proud of, that gives you the motivation to get up early the next morning. Liz is reputed to be one of the most sought-after event organisers for corporate and private events, and she's organised hundreds over her 30-year career with a business she built from Manchester. Manchester born and bred, I met Liz early on in my career and I thought she was absolutely incredible. She scared me to death, but I thought she was incredible. She was a completely focused and driven businesswoman. Hi Liz, thank you so much for joining me on We Built The City. Hi Lisa, and thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I've known you for 30 years and yet probably only ever spoken to you half a dozen times before we reconnected recently. And we'll discuss that in a bit more later because there's quite a funny story around that. So my first question to you is, how did you get Bon Jovi, Taylor Swift and Prince William around a microphone at Kensington Palace? Well, first of all, I think that I, I have to say that I'm thrilled to bits to be on We Built Manchester because I think it's a really, really great city and I'm delighted that it's been recognised in this way and thrilled to be, obviously, on your podcast. How did I get them on stage? It's a very long story, but I'll tell you in, in, in very, very briefly. I received a phone call one Monday morning from an American lady and she asked me if I could be at Kensington Palace the following morning. Now, you know, a lot of these calls on Mondays are people that are bored over the weekend and think, oh, you know, we'll take the piss a bit here and uh, and we'll give them a call and wind them up. And so I thought, do I or don't I? And I said, well, what's it for? And she said, well, it's a charity event, she said, and um, we've been let down and you're the woman that we've been told is the go-to. Can you be there? And I said, yeah, sure. You know, who are the clients? And she said, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, you know, at which point I slid off the chair with the phone in my hand and I'm on the floor and I'm thinking, great, there's an opportunity here now for me to sell my French band. Now you have to understand that I've managed this French band for 22 years. They're based in Paris and they are off the scale, both in price and performance. So never want to lose the opportunity. I asked her what the entertainment was and she said, it's uh, John Bon Jovi and Taylor Swift. So needless to say, I was first class the next morning at seven o'clock, hair done, off to Kensington Palace. And um, that's how it happened. <laughs> that's amazing. How did you feel in that moment when you were standing there, having come all the way, it's kind of through your career to that point? You mean having come all the way from Manchester <laughs> to Kensington <laughs> Palace? <laughs> How did I feel? I felt fab. Um, how did I feel? You don't have time actually to feel anything. You know, I was there to do a job. I'm here, you know, sort of stood amongst the royal family. There is a marquee that's gone up. I didn't have a chance to feel anything other than 
I need to get this done. What I did recognize was that, you know, I could stick two fingers up to all the bureaucracy. So when they started, they said to me, you know, every single supplier that you bring in, it has to show a passport and they've got to be vetted. And I said, look, we have what a choice here. We either deliver this event in three weeks time or we don't. But if you're going to hold me up with all, with all the logistics, it's just not going to happen. So it was once again, the tailor way or the highway. So you had your photograph for We Built This City taken outside the Midland Hotel. And I think the story is that you hustled your way into your first event there. Is that right? I think, Lisa, I've hustled my way through life, to be quite honest with you. But yeah, I did. I, um, I'd been in fashion retail. I, I left school. I was privately educated and I had a very bullyish father. And that's a whole that's a whole nother podcast. But I went into Marks and Spencers, into the management training scheme. And I was in retail for 10 or 12 years. And when I was pregnant with my eldest daughter, who's now 34, 35, I had given up work and was shimming around with a friend of mine who had a clothing business. And we thought that we'd offer this opportunity into hotels. So if you came into Manchester for a conference and you didn't have the right thing to wear, you'd dial this 0800 number and we'd tootle down with a whole selection of clothes. That was the whole zig. That's what we were going in for. And I went into the Midland, the Holiday Inn had just bought the Midland, and her name was Elaine. I, I can't remember her surname, but she was Scottish. And we just hit it off immediately. Not like you and me, Lisa. We hit it off like straight away. <laughs> and then we, uh, we got chatting and she said, I need to promote this hotel to PAs. And I'm going to, do, I want to organize a Hollywood night. There's a pool downstairs. So I said, well, I'll do it. I'm not, I'm pregnant. I'm not really doing anything. And she said, okay. And I used to go to Bavardage a lot, which was one of George Best's haunts and all that crew. And Ainsley Harriet's father, Chester, was the pianist, and he was mega. So I hooked him in. He was my, uh, you know, play again, Sam. And I delivered this Hollywood night. And they then asked me to do two more. And I realized that there was an opportunity. My personal life was a bit precarious. And, you know, I, th there was all sorts of stuff going on. But I saw an opportunity. And it was from that moment that I took it. And were you one of the only people at that time doing events at that scale? I was the only person at that time doing events. I mean, there was no one that, you know, there were a couple of companies in London who'd started off doing discos a lot for the private market, sort of, you know, the, the christenings and the, and the bar mitzvahs, that was their source of income. And so I used them for some of the events that I did to provide the entertainment with a few lighting rigs, but it really was as basic as, as that. When you look now, 30 years later, Every corporate has an in-house events team. You know, every bride becomes a wedding organizer. It's just a whole completely different perspective on, on the industry. But I was there at the very beginning. And, and it's, you know, it's like this podcast is all about we built the city. Well, I built the industry, not solely on my own, but I was very much there at the foundations of it. And that, I think, is what's given me the strength, my experience and my knowledge. And I suppose courage mm. and were you ever frightened at the time frightened of what how long have you got so I'm frightened of everything I'm, fri <laughs> I'm a Pisces you see so I cry a lot and I'm frightened 
Somebody said to me, you've got a real crusty exterior, but there's a marshmallow inside. I'm still looking for it because I do like fondue. But um, I, uh, yes, very frightened. I think the thing that frightened me the most, my children were two and three when I left their father. And the whole setup was quite affluent, but fell apart because what I had thought was the truth was not the truth. So I was left with two children, no source of income. I bought a very modest house, albeit in Hale Barnes, but it was a very modest house, particularly from what we were living in. And I didn't really know how I was going to educate them or put food on the table. So the fear that I had was overcome with the knowledge that I had to do something. And those two ran hand in hand. And that fear is still with me today in that I still worry, however busy I am, right through till 2021, I'm only worried that in March 2023, I actually might not have a job on. I suppose the current circumstances, whilst we're now sort of in with the coronavirus, and it does put a different perspective on things. But yes, if you're not frightened, if you with no fear, you cannot be successful. And where do you think you got your drive from? I think I got my drive from my father. I mean, I had a very, very difficult upbringing. It was, I was very privileged. My father was a judge. I went to private school. I, we lived in, you know, we lived in Hale before anyone lived in Hale. I had a, a, we holidayed, you know, on the French Riviera. I mean, I had an amazing, uh, to all intents and purposes, an amazing upbringing, but my father was a bully and he defined me and it was either sink or swim. My brother is very hard of hearing and went away to school at a very young age. So I was really an only child. And it was very difficult. And we were very, very similar. And it wasn't until he was very ill for three months before he died. And it was then that I made my peace with him. But he was a sod. And so, you know, if I came home from school with an A, it was, well, why didn't you get an A plus? And that's what I lived with. And he was the one that made me so successful because there was absolutely no way that I was ever going to sink. And did he pass before he was able to see what you were doing from a career point of view? No, he passed away 10 years ago and um, he, he just could never say well done. I mean, I know he was immensely proud because I used to hear from other people, but he was never, he, he was unable to demonstrate any form of, you know, love, affection, pride, anything. But it gets to a stage, Lisa, where it doesn't really bother you. I wanted to be who I who I am. And I loved the challenge. I loved the fight. I'm very musical. I played the piano since the age of four. I studied music till I was 18. So that was a very big part of what I was going to do and the creativity. And um, no, I just, uh, you know, I mean, now I've been to see a million sorts of spiritualists and what have you, and apparently he sits on my shoulder and he comes back and, you know, and all that stuff. And whether you believe it or you don't believe it, but I did make peace and I know that I've done okay. I've been honest, I've had integrity and I've got two great kids. So really it doesn't, nothing else matters. Mm. And you've got obviously got an amazing relationship with your daughters. I mean, do they... Have they taken up your kind of work ethic? Are they also kind of pursuing their own careers in a very determined way as you've done? So my kids, there's only 40 months between them. They're very, very, very close. We're all very close. But the younger one is really like me. She's worse than me. 
Whereas my older one is the mediator. She's the one that always brings the calm into the relationship. And when they were 30, 12, I think they were, I sent them out to work in a cafe in Hale because they had to earn their own money. And the elder one kept the job till I think she went to university. The younger one got sacked within a month for telling the woman how to run the business. <laughs> and she's now head of a huge PR company in New York, which she's running, she's done brilliantly, and she's 33. And the older one works for a charity. They both went to Birmingham University. I'm very proud of them both, but very different characters. But I never forget that when she came home and said she'd been sacked. I thought, you know what? You're going to go a long way, Katie. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Well, I asked my daughter if she wanted to join me in PR when she was about seven years old and she thought about it for a few minutes. Then she said, I could, or I could work in a chocolate factory. And I thought it's probably not a bad idea. (laughs) It was in the middle of the recession and I would have rather worked in a chocolate factory at that point too. We Built This City, a podcast about the Mancunians born, bred and adopted that put the heart into modern Manchester. So you've created lots and lots of incredible parties and events for countless famous people, uh, lots of homegrown Manchester icons like Michelle Keegan and Mark Wright, and you're obviously very good friends with Gary Barlow from all the children in need and the charity work you've done together. Is the one event that stands out for you that you're particularly proud of? Yeah, I think the event that has to stand out for me was the 2011 Children in Need dinner because that was a massive turning point for me in business. Not in such a not not, and we're we're talking about sort of personal challenges and and direction. I'm not necessarily talking financial. I mean, I've always run the business like a rod of iron, and it's allowed me to have a team of staff that have been looked after and you know had a nice standard of living. But the Children in Need in 2011 was bizarre. And I don't know whether I've even got the time to tell you the story. Have I got the time to tell you the story? Well, I will tell you the story anyway. It's, yes, I on. got a phone call. It was, an, it was another phone call. And a young lady said that she was coming up to Manchester and she was looking at a venue because her, her boss was going to organise a charity event. And for some reason, I never asked her name. The call had been put through to me and the call had come through as a charity event. So I asked her, she she was coming up the following day and I said, can I meet you? And she said, no, I've been given three companies to investigate and you're one of them. So I got into sort of chatting as I could and I said, where are you going? She said, well, I'm going to walk up to the Hilton. I've got a meeting there at 10 o'clock. So, well, if you're walking up to the Hilton, then you're walking up from Great John Street. She said, how do you know that? I said, because you don't really sound like a premier in type of girl. And she said, well, I would be walking up from Great John Street, but I can't get in. I said, okay, here's the deal. I'll get you the room at Great John Street. You meet me at the Hilton at 10 o'clock. I phoned up Tiffany, who was the director then of the hotel. I said, Tiff, I've got a hunch. Don't ask me what it is. I don't even know a bloody name. I said, but I need a comp room for tomorrow, for tonight or tomorrow night, whenever it was. She said, no problem. I phoned the girl back and I said, it's Liz here. I've got you the room. It's complimentary on the proviso that you meet me at 10 o'clock. And she was absolutely gobsmacked that I'd managed to get a comp room at a hotel that was supposedly full. 
And she said, yes, I'll meet you. And I said, what's your name? And she gave me her name. And I said, and what's the event? She said, oh, it's for my boss, Gary Barlow. It's for children in need. Well, that was another slide to the floor moment, as you can well imagine. And, um, but you know what? It just, it, it demonstrates what I've always, always said. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And by that, I don't mean in the celebrity world or it's for everybody. I can walk into any hotel and I can talk, I'll know the name of every concierge, every front of house, every cleaner, every board, whatever job they do, because at Marks and Spencers, you had to do everybody's job. And I'll know them by name. And I'll ask them how their kids are, not because I'm being patronizing, but because they have been my friends and they've been my livelihood. And they're the ones that, that they're the ones that, that promote the brand. And um, yes, yeah, so I met her and uh, that was me a mega. And I went down to the first meeting was, was in Gary's uh, recording studio. You know, I tried to be really cool in my black suit and, you know. <laughs> And we sat down and there were five of us. There were three from the BBC. There was him, there was his PA and there was myself. And he said, um, he said, I think we need a car, he said, to put in the auction. So somebody piped up. Yes, well, we've got a connection with Mini or Fiat or whatever it was. So, you know, Billy Big Shot here thought, I'm going to just pull this out of the bag. I'll worry about it afterwards. I said, no, 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 no. I said, I can get a Bentley. And he looked across at me, Gary. And he said, you what? I said, I can get a Bentley. He said, to auction. So I said, yes. And that was it. I got the Bentley. And uh, it went for a quarter of a million pounds. And we've been mates ever since. I think maybe because he wants a Bentley. I'm not sure. A free one. I don't know. But anyway, we've been mates ever since. That's a great story. Um, and you organise, obviously, parties around the world. Um, you do with the Lone Star in Barbados, don't you? The New Year party there. Uh, it's probably full of Manx there anyway. But would you say that there's anything particularly special about Mancunian party? Yeah, I think everyone wants to have a Manx to organise the party. That is definitely, definitely. And everyone wants to have a Manx to perform at the party. If you look at our homegrown talent, it is mega. You know, you've got the Gallaghers, you've got Take That, you've got, um, I, I mean, I grew up with Peter Savile, who I don't know if you know Peter, but he's made a fortune and he designs... Uh, record label stuff and I mean there's hundreds and hundreds of successful celebrities businessmen I mean you know we look at the the Cordwells I mean you can call him Northwest because he's stoked but yeah I think that everybody wants a mank either at the party to organize the party or to perform at the party I love that. And I think Manx wants to go home later than anybody else. <laughs> I, yes, I think we are. We're great party people. It was very interesting because when I did the Children in Need with Gary and I was responsible for organising the menu and I just, I said to him, should we do a real Manx menu? Should we do? We did Manchester tart. We did fish and chips as a starter with a tiny sausage roll. And then I went and with tiny little ketchup things. And then I went to Holland and I bought 540 little hot pot um, containers. And we did, it was either a Lancashire hot pot or something like that. And then we did Manchester tart. And, you know, it just, there's nowhere else like Manchester. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it must be brilliant also for you at the end of a, a nice, the end of an event when you know that you've delivered an amazing party um, or an event for clients and that they're really happy. What's your creative process? How do you get to that point to know that you're going to be putting on a, an event that you're going to be so proud of? 
Because I'm doing it, Lisa. Good answer. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and have you got any particular clients over the years that have just been amazing clients for you that you just work with really well because there's a dynamic between you or you've got a real kind of understanding? Well, first of all, the, my first response to that is that I can't work with somebody that I don't have an understanding with. It's only happened to me twice when I've walked away. And not because I have an ego and I just, you know, it's either my way or the highway, but because it's a very sort of intimate experience. And, you know, you're, I am responsible for spending a significant amount of money for somebody else who has a high expectation. And if there isn't a mutual respect, that can never happen. And I, I'm a firm believer in chemistry. I don't know about you, but when I've interviewed people, I could tell you as I put my foot through the door, whether that person's going to be any good or work for me or not work for me. I have clients that I have worked with from the day I started, and, and I, I'll never forget, I have an Indian client, and she won't even mind me sharing this story, but Quaffers <laughs> in Bredbury had a lady in the sales team who recommended me to an Indian groom who was getting engaged, and the engagement party was going to be there, and he came to see me, and at the time, my office was what was my, then became my downstairs toilet in my home with my children. That's, that was the size of it. And he came to see me, and he asked me to organize the engagement. After the engagement was organized, he sent the bride over from Newcastle because they wanted me to do the wedding. And so um, they came up in the office, and it was re it really funny because the, um, it's 30 years ago. And when we talk about it now, she brought it, bought into my Prada handbag, which I'd saved up for months for which was on the floor and I couldn't get over the dynamics between these people who were speaking a totally foreign language and the mother then said to me would you come to Newcastle to have a look at the venue so I said if you send me a plane ticket yes and at the time then the planes were those boxes that used to sit on the floor <laughs> she sent me the ticket went to Newcastle I get off the plane and there's a fleet of Mercedes waiting outside the airport and I get into one and I think if ever, and this goes back to you should never, ever underestimate anybody because I did. I got in the car and what was the venue? It was the Municipal Park in Newcastle. And the event was for 1,400 people. And I was totally out of my depth. But I did it. I did the wedding. Again, that's another podcast. But I came back and... From then on, I've done, I did five engagements, five weddings, a silver wedding, a golden wedding. I've done eight first birthday parties. And now the kids are about to be introduced to people and I'll be doing the weddings. So that's the longevity of that relationship. And there are a lot of them like that. And that's because I work on those relationships. They become friends. There's mutual respect. And deliver, I deliver. <laughs> We built this city, exploring the purposeful relationships that grow a community. And what's the strangest request you've ever had? Well, I don't think I've ever had a strange request because for me, the stranger, the better. You know, the more, the more outrageous and the more peculiar. I mean, I have had some sort of unsuitable requests and I sort of swerve them and politely stand back. But the straight, I mean, I'd be, we, did, um, we did a bar mitzvah in February and it was the fourth, What we I'd actually done the couple's wedding and this was, they, they had four boys and this was the last bar mitzvah and they were twins. And the theme they decided was stranger twins. 
from Stranger Things. Well, if you haven't seen it, watch it, because that was one challenge and a half. But it was mega. It was mega. So, no, none of them are strange. The stranger, the better. And if you could organise a party for anybody that you'd not organise one for, who would it be? It would be for you, Lisa. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're 25 next year. I think you just got yourself a job. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so on top of Taylor Lynn Corporation, you've done lots of TV appearances, you've been TV shows, you're a regular media commentator. I know you do after dinner speaking. And you've got a book out soon, haven't you, called um, Taylor Made? You have to sign me a copy, Liz. Oh, God, um, I'm very excited about that. <laughs> so when's that book out? I've got a couple of things on the go. I've set up a, a media consultancy, uh, and it's called Liz Taylor Consulting. And that is uh, an arm of what I've done. So I'm going on, um, I'm going as sort of non-execs consultants in the hospitality industry I've got a restaurant brand that I'm working with I've got all sorts of things going I'm speaking doing a lot of public speaking I've got a a gig in October for a 30th anniversary for a company and that's come through an agency and it's all motivational speaking I speak at the university I like talking about I'm very into motivation I'm very my cup's always half full and and of course, the experiences I've, I've had and the people that I've met make for a good story. I, I was guest speaker at Together Money at Christmas. So I enjoy all that. My book, Tailor Made, is warts and all. It's coming out. Well, it, hopefully it'll be coming out now in the autumn. It was due to come out in the spring. And yes, I'm either going to get the Nobel Prize or sued. <laughs> One or the other. <laughs> Oh, I love that. I cannot wait to read that book, I tell you. So what gets you up the next morning after a very late night? How do you constantly find the energy to keep going? What, you mean at my age? <laughs> oh, no, generally. Get lost. <laughs> um, well, first of all, I've always been a morning girl. I, 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 I like to get into bed early and I like to watch TV. I've never really been a party girl, funny enough. I, I, I'm not... I'm very focused. I have a very strict routine, which I think is crucial. And I'm sure, and you're the same as well. I mean, I know that you have. So I get up, I go on the treadmill. I have to go on the treadmill. Otherwise my head doesn't function. Mm. And then from that moment, I shower. Uh, it's like Groundhog Day, really. You know, I get in the shower, I put my makeup on, I get in the car, FaceTime my children, not in the car in case the police are listening. Then I get to work. I'm in work for half eight, nine o'clock because I'm only worried if I'm not in the same time as the team are in, they'll think less of me. And, and so I, you know, and I never, ever take advantage of the fact that I've got a team. And then I leave at half five, six o'clock and I come home and so we go on. It is Groundhog Day. But but you know what, I, I think, and, and you'll, you'll understand this, when you love what you do and you have achieved things in life that you're proud of, that gives you the motivation to get up early the next morning. What piece of advice would you have now for yourself when you were starting out? Don't get married once, twice or three times. In fact, that was a song, once, twice, three times a lady. That would be the best piece, not the second time because I had my children don't get married (laughs) am I allowed to say that yeah or have I got to give a proper have I got to give a proper piece of advice no okay so that would be my first thing that I would say the second thing I would say is, is the one piece of advice don't give up you know believe in yourself if it ain't broke don't fix it and yeah just go for it go for it
So at Roland Dransfield, we talk about purposeful relationships, as you know. And to put a bit of context here, I met Liz when I was about 22 years old and I thought she was unbelievable. And just recently, I was asked to chair a panel um, for International Women's Day and uh, Liz was on the on the panel, which was great. And so I thought lots of her for the past kind of 25 years. And we met up recently and had dinner and I found out so actually in her words that she thought I was had always been a bit snotty and a bit aloof. <laughs> And she hadn't really liked me at all. So I found that absolutely devastating. But it made me laugh a lot. Um, and what was amazing is the fact that I found we both found out that we share the same values. So and it's really exciting to know that we're going to be doing some work together in the future, Liz. So I just wanted to kind of talk about um, your values and your relationships with the city, which are similar to mine, which we didn't realise at the time. Um, and some of the incredible Mancunians who have supported you in your career. So could you just kind of tell us a little bit more about that? I'm trying to think of the incredible Mancunians that have supported me. I mean, I've been, I think that, um, first of all, with regard to the um, Roland Ransfield values, I think when I looked at them, the one that's, that, that stood out the most was the we say thank you. Mm. Because I think that the, the we say thank you and the loyalty always, I mean, there, it's, that is just, you know, a basic skill, for want of a better word, and that should be adapted to anything I think the Mancunians I love Manchester mm. I think Manchester when the I my business turned in 1996 after the IRA bomb I'd started in 1986 and I set up the Taylor Lynn Corporation in 1995 with Diane Lynn who was a florist and in 96 when they bombed the city which was totally totally devastating as will as and the same will come out of the coronavirus pandemic now is that we will come out stronger and better than before, and I think that's what Mancunians and Manchester is all about, more so than anywhere else. The investment in the city in '96 was huge. It became the second city outside London, and for though anyone that was able to sort of look beyond could see the opportunities that were out there. And that's not from a greed perspective or sort of, you know, preying on, on, on people that had been devastated or affected by the tragedy, but it was just basic business sense. We had an opportunity to rebuild the city and the city was rebuilt. Mm -hmm. And there are property developers, you know, there are, there are, there's a whole host of, of people in the city that contributed to making Manchester what it is. And you will not get a better night out than a night out in Manchester. Mm. As we knew when we went out with Gary Neville and his team on the Christmas party. And that was a night out because Gary knows how to party. But yeah, we've got some great homegrown talent. And do you think that in the current situation that Manchester will take the same attitude to rebuild in a different way, the city in the next kind of few months, the next year? obviously lots of changes we all love, love going out and that's one thing we can't do do you think we'll bounce back well first of all we'll definitely bounce back because we always bounce back mm. um i think that is very different because the economy's been hit so dreadfully which was not the case with the uh with the bomb i mean we've you know we've been through recessions but we've never fortunately been through anything like this and i do think that it could have been avoided i think 
the, the one good thing that may come out of this, if you can say a good thing comes out of it, is that, first of all, the NHS will no longer ever be underestimated. Mm. And I think that they will get the support and they will get the, the, the coffers that they need because there is nowhere other than in the UK that has an NHS system like we do. I think the other thing is that it's a leveller. I think that it, it's not going to matter how much money you've got, how much money you haven't got. I think it will be a great leveller because I think we will all reconsider our priorities and function accordingly. I think it'll take a long time to get confidence and trust back. But, you know, Northerners are made of right tough stuff mm. and it'll take more than a virus to get rid of us. I totally agree. And I think that's one thing that's really occurred to me is the fact that it doesn't matter how many kind of fast cars you've got, how many watches you've got. What's important to you is how many relationships you've got that really work. And the other thing is that the coronavirus has made us more northern. I mean, when I grew up, everyone's back door was open. Everyone chatted over the fence. Everyone, you'd borrow a cup of sugar or you'd, be borrow, you'd lend somebody some butter. And people are back to those values right now. The ethos is there. We, mm. the, you know, I've noticed now, you know, every afternoon I go out for a walk for an hour and a half and everyone smiles and says, hello. Well, they never, ever used to do that before. Mm. And, you know, people, um, people sort of, I know they move aside, but there's, there's sort of a, there's a unity about it. In fact, it was very funny because my solicitor said to me, he said, don't you find it really weird that now that when you go walk, people cross to the other side of the road when they see you? And then he said, mind you, they've always done that with you, haven't they? So it's probably nothing new. <laughs> I Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> it's brilliant. And you know the guy in question, Lisa, Robert Levy of Kites. I love Robert. But anyway, but yeah, I think that, um, yes, it will all change. It will come back slowly. It will change for the better, but it will be hard. If you're loving We Built This City, please could you take the time to leave a five-star review on your podcast platform? Thank you. So, Liz, I remember you saying to me recently that you were never too concerned to be liked. You're more concerned about being respected. I did say that. I'm not quite sure I meant it because everybody likes to be liked because we've all got our insecurities. But, yeah, in business, it was I, I, I was never worried about whether anybody liked me as long as they respected me. And I think respect is uh, respect is very, very important to me because there are a lot of people that I don't particularly like, but I have huge respect for. And you earn respect. And I think that's, you know, that's one of my achievements. Liz, you've got a reputation for being a straight talker, tough and resilient. So all very Mancunian traits. But recently we've spoken a bit more about vulnerability when we started our business, it was much more difficult to be kind of vulnerable. We had to be very tough in the boardroom. There's a lot more men around, few women in business. Do you think that's changed over time? Uh, yeah, I do think it's changed over time. What was interesting, actually, Lisa, was when you and I went out for dinner, um, we, we were both, you know, we, we're both actually quite vulnerable underneath it all. And, you know, we both have this sort of perception of being tough and straight and what have you. I've never felt that I've had to justify myself in a boardroom because I'm a female. The only time I felt that justification was necessary was if I actually disagreed, had, my, had an opinion that was contrary to somebody else's. But the male-female thing has actually never been a threat to me. I think 
that by building a business and gaining respect and defeating all odds, because, you know, 30 years ago, you can imagine if somebody says, actually, I'm setting up a business organising parties, they looked at you like you had two heads on. And it wasn't until uh, sort of 10 years into it that I could hold my head up high and say, well, you know, actually, I've done it. The male-female thing, I don't, I don't believe in. I think it's a myth. And I think that if you're ever, if ever that's been confrontational, then it's your fault because you've allowed it. Do you think you could have had a career as successful anywhere else um, other than Manchester? Or do you think there's been something about Manchester that's really helped you because of its community and its willingness to support and its networks? I wouldn't have wanted to have a career anywhere else. I mean, people ask me why I never opened an office in London. Um, I did have a, a, a phone number there for a while that came through to the Manchester office and in Dublin. And I had opportunities to go and set up elsewhere or grow elsewhere. But no, I always wanted to be a big fish in a little tank. I mean, it's no longer a little tank, but I'm still a big fish in it anyway. I always wanted to be part of something that was growing, that was developing. And Manchester has and will continue to grow. And I think that is is noticeable in all the brands and the, the restaurants and the bars and the stores and everything that's opened and come up into the Northwest. So I've never wanted to be anywhere other than here. And I wouldn't want to be, which is why I'm still here. If you want to know how to build a community that dances on tables, you can find out right here on the We Built The City podcast. So just before we finish, a few quick fire questions, Liz, if that's okay. So what's your favourite Manchester canapé? A miniature Yorkshire pudding with a tiny bit of roast beef. Manchester tart or bread and butter pudding? Well, I've been aspiring to be a Manchester tart for over 60 years, so I think it has to be the tart. I think I am a Manchester tart. <laughs> Most inspirational Mancunian. Well, that's very difficult. <laughs> We'll come back to other things. You know what? I'll tell you who my most inspired. Now, this is not because I. This is not because he might have another party, but I honestly and I, without thinking too deeply, Gary Neville is for me the man. I think he's a guy that represents everything that we are about. He was played for one of the biggest football clubs in the world. He developed his skills. He was not born with a silver spoon. I knew his dad, Neville Neville, very well. And he's got the biggest heart. And I think he's my man. What do you most miss about Manchester when you're away? I'm a home bird. I love coming home. I miss everything. I miss my home. I miss my friends. I miss the vibe. I like the fact, and I'm being really, really, uh, this is a bit of ego now, and, I can't, and I've got to let you finish with a bit of ego, but I like the fact that I'm the only person that can book a table in Dishoom. <laughs> One last thing. What's an interesting thing about you that people wouldn't know? I suppose I let that out of the bag a bit earlier, that I am a pianist. Yeah, that's amazing, that. Not many people know that. Why don't you play at your own events? I'm not that good anymore. <laughs> you, I, studied, I was brilliant and also I have to tell you they couldn't afford me <laughs> Liz thank you so much for coming on We Built This City it's been absolutely brilliant thanks for having me I've loved it Liz Taylor helped build this city and her industry by staying true to who she is by understanding the true value of service and by never judging a book by its cover 
Melissa's got a new book out soon called Taylor Made. It's going to be right at the top of my reading list because I want to find out whether or not she wins the Nobel Prize or gets sued. In the next episode, you're going to hear from somebody that's been mentioned as an inspiration in this city by quite a few of my previous guests. You'll know him from being a one-club man and the second longest serving player at Manchester United behind his teammate Ryan Giggs. He's now getting a kick out of United in Manchester. It's Gary Neville. This is a podcast from Roland Dransville PR. Our mission is to build purposeful relationships in all we do. If you do want to talk to us, give us a call on the same number we've had for 23 years, 0161 236 1122.